All right, you go ahead. You go ahead, you keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode 22. This is your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Mike, my friend, how are you today? I'm well overall, Ben, but I'm a little worried about the next generation of Americans. So there's an article in Reason magazine about an author by the name of Edward Ball. And he was supposed to participate in a virtual event at Tulane University based on his latest book called Life of a Klansman, A Family History of White Supremacy. And the New York Times loves this book. The New Republic loves this book. A lot of liberal outlets love this book. So it seems like a a very relevant topic right now. And you would think that this guy, Edward Ball, is an important voice in the discussion about how we can grapple with a racist past and try to forge a new way in the present. You'd think that, but many Tulane students don't think that. And so Reason curated some student responses about this upcoming event, and they are ridiculous. One commenter said, the last thing we need to do is allow someone who is even reflecting on the hatred of their ancestors to speak about white supremacy, even if their efforts come from a place of accountability. That's one Tulane student on Instagram. There is nothing about a book on white supremacy written by the descendant of a Klansman can do to promote or influence an anti-racism atmosphere. That's another comment. But the, the letter from the student government is really something else. And it reads in part, and, a, and the, they canceled the event, okay? They canceled the event. And it reads in part, an apology is the first step in undoing the harm you have caused many members of this community but it is in no way the last. In the current political atmosphere, it is imperative that we are all actively anti-racist and endorsing speakers like these is antithetical to the anti-racist work being done by students, faculty, and staff on our campus. The student government also said, this event is not only inappropriate, but violent towards the experience and work of black people in the Tulane community in our country. Wow. You know, that's, this is a common refrain in far left circles that language is violence. No, violence is violence. You can't just stretch the meaning of a word so it fits the definition of another word to the act you're descri- that refers to the act you're describing so it sounds more dramatic and harmful. Yeah, I mean, it's also one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons why Trump got elected. I hate hate to say this, and I don't want to uh, lay the blame on liberals or uh, snowflake uh, students, but there is some truth to the fact that um, this sort of identity politics craze and this um, snowflake kind of um, movement where, you know, the language policing, um, banning speakers on campus, you know, outrage at every sort of minor, tiny infraction against, you know, um, correct identity language approved, identity politics approved language. You know, the Trump movement was a backlash in part against this kind of madness. In some moments, when you read stories like this, you can see, you can begin to sympathise with the Breitbart, you know, the reactions of people in Breitbart. 
you know, that basically have whipped up mass hysteria on the right about these about these snowflakes. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It makes a mockery of liberalism. It makes a mockery of progressive, real progressive politics, because how are you going to get past this stuff if you can't even talk about it? It's I mean, it's complete madness that this is what they're worried about right now. You know, so, yeah, I share your worry. I think that, you know, I don't think this is as widespread a movement as people as people on the right think it is. Uh, but, you know, th- again, if we keep going down this path, the backlash on the right is going to be more severe. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse because, you know, it's insane. The idea that you can't... We, I had when I was in high school um, back in the UK, and there was, we actually had a former Nazi guard, um, an SS guard, came to the school to, to give a lecture. Obviously, he was in the Hitler Youth as a teenager. And it was one of the most important things I've ever kind of speeches I've ever heard in my entire life. You know, I was a, I was a teenager. Obviously, like I have Jewish ancestry, so my immediate reaction was this guy is a Nazi. But I just you know I listened to him talk, and he. It was amazing. It was really profound, and and you know to hear about the guilt that he'd felt, and um, you know the culture in Germany at the time, and how he'd tried to come to terms with what he'd been a part of, and that he'd had no choice in being a part of anyway. Yeah, but it's very formative. So these experiences are these experiences should be very formative for for young people. But in this case, they're being ba- they're being banned from campus. It's, it's absolutely shameful that Tulane um, sort of acquiesced to their demands. I mean, it's just disgusting. The adults need to just stand up and put their foot down and say, no, this is an important voice. He's going to explain all of the, the things that he felt as a descendant of a Klansman. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's also, it's also this idea that, I mean, this is a, a white person who is helping white people come to terms with this or come to terms with, with white people's you know, the white history in America, the racial history, you know, and, and the responsibility for slavery and for racism and for segregation. So I, I just can't see how this doesn't help the situation. This is a helpful thing. You know, it's like we've got to come to terms with our own histories. Right. So uh, surely this should be a part of the healing process would be listening to someone talk about their experiences and listening to them talk about how they've come to terms with their own family's history, you know? So yeah, it's, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with this one. Like you're right. I think the adults need to come in and, um, uh, put their foot down and tell the, tell the kids like, okay, listen, like we, we know a thing or two about life and, uh, the world. So it's time for you to shut up and listen. If language can be violence, this is one of the bloodiest podcasts in the world. That's all I know. Yeah, exactly. Well, telling people to shut up is an act of violence, I suppose, as well. This is going to be a very violent podcast because we're going to be talking about Trump stealing the election and disenfranchising <laughs> voters. <laughs> yeah, well, that you know, which uh, brings us on to the to the next topic, which is Trump trying to disenfranchise basically anybody who might vote for Joe Biden in November, which is incredibly scary. Uh, Bob uh, Bob Seska wrote a piece for the banter this week on that, um, and I don't so I don't think that people truly understand the scale of what's happening of what 
you know what Trump is 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 proposing to do, uh, and and one of the you know the scariest aspects of this Trump is that basically because the Supreme Court you know basically won't hold Trump to account for anything, Trump is now saying that he can write his own laws, right? So he thinks he can by presidential decree he can ban absentee ballots, which you know he might be able to do. You know, I, 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 it, 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 Trump has basically declared himself emperor, emperor in chief. Well, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but the Supreme Court has dealt him some losses recently. But Did, whether Trump is going to re, whether Trump is whether Trump will pay attention to them is is a whole other a whole other issue, you know. So I, I guess I think that you know he's defied the Supreme Court um, on 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 a number of issues. Uh, you know, for example, the DACA applications. So, I mean, the Supreme Court ruling, Trump administration um, began, they, they started rejecting new DACA applications despite the Supreme Court ruling. So, who knows with this guy? Fair enough. He's gradually eroded these these guardrails. He's increasingly surrounded himself with people who are more willing to enable him, willing to tell him whatever he wants to hear. Uh, he's certainly somebody who strikes me as willing to ignore important court decisions that go against him. So fair. Let's talk about let's talk about this multi-front war that Team Trump is waging on American democracy and voting in particular. So we've noted that he wants to cast severe doubt on mail-in voting. He said it's rife with fraud, even though it's not. Uh, he he did change his mind in one on this in one respect this week, or I guess last week, because this is going out on a Sunday. We're talking on a Friday. He now says that mail-in voting is safe in Florida, but pretty much no other state. And I think what happened is that somebody told him a lot of the olds in Florida who support him vote by mail. And so that made Trump flip the switch and say, uh, yeah, you can vote by mail in Florida, no problem. But he's still crapping all over voting by mail in other states, such as Nevada, so much so that he is suing the state of Nevada to block a new state law there uh, where, uh, where registered voters automatically receive a mail-in ballot that they can mail right back. And Trump went on Twitter and called it an illegal late-night coup. So he's suing Nevada. He's casting doubt on mail-in voting. He is, looks like we're slowing down the mail. Shady stuff going on at the U.S. Postal Service. You know, I don't know if you watch Seinfeld, Ben, but there was an episode where Newman, who works for the U.S. Post Office, he asked Jerry a favor, and Jerry says no. And Newman says, All right, you go ahead. You go ahead, you keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. (laughs) And information would include mail-in ballots. And so that was fiction. But for all intents and purposes, I think Newman might be running the post office now in the form of this guy named Louis DeJoy. And he's a Trump donor. He's a Trump stooge. And Trump tapped him to be the postmaster general. He's implemented cost-cutting measures that have slowed down mail delivery in parts of the country. 
even though he said recently there's no plan to slow down delivery of ballots or any other kind of mail. But there are these slowdowns already, so maybe it's not specifically planned, but maybe this is just the inevitable consequence of these cost-cutting measures. And he says the financial situation of the post office is dire. That's no surprising news there. And Trump hates the post office. He hates mail-in voting, except in Florida. It's tough to see uh, Trump approving any emergency funding that might be necessary to avoid a possible mail-in voting disaster. And then finally, maybe not finally, this might this is likely an inexhaustive list. We have Republicans who are at least six Republicans, I believe it was, uh, are looking to get Kanye West on the ballot in as many states as possible. And in some cases, they have succeeded. Uh, Kanye will be on the ballot in Oklahoma, Colorado, and Vermont, in Missouri, Arkansas, Ohio, Wisconsin, and West Virginia. Uh, I guess he's made the ballot, but the signatures he submitted have not been verified. And a few in some of those um, states are questioning the uh, the validity of the signatures. Uh, and there's also in Wisconsin, there's some doubt if uh, they made the filing deadline. So that's what's going on uh, in in Trump world when it comes to attacking our democracy. Um, the, the Kanye thing, that's more of a dirty trick thing. But as for the, you know, casting doubt on on mail in in ballots and, and suing Nevada and slowing down the mail, that's that's just straight up fuckery. Yeah, I mean, if you can't win an election, steal it, right? I mean, this is, uh, I mean, Trump is now just, do, he's doing what Republicans have really been trying to do for the last 40 years. And he's just, he's just coming out and saying it straight out. I mean, he can't even be bothered to disguise his, his intention here. But I mean, it's it's genuinely scary because this, the election is going to come down to a couple of swing states, right? I mean, it's going to come down to, well, not a couple of swing states, but there's, you know, I don't know how many swing states there are now let's say eight or nine places where that could flip the election. Um, and should this make a difference of a few thousand votes, um, you know, this could be really, really bad. This could be really bad for Joe Biden. I don't think it's going to work. I think that basically that if you look at the, the, the polls at the moment, um, and I know you hate discussing, I know Mike, you, you're not a fan of the, uh, of, of, of looking at polls, but um, if you do look at what's happening in in swing states, it's pretty bad for for Trump. I mean, he's so far behind in a number of these places that it's hard to see how he how he can come back, even if there is widespread voter fraud. Right? It's it's like it's that bad. I'm I'm definitely worried about it, but I also think that. Biden has built has such a cushion now. Okay, so for example, he's up um, almost four points in Arizona. He's up almost eight points in uh, Florida. He's up in uh, where is he up in also Michigan? He's up by eight points. Uh, Minnesota, he's up by nine points. Nevada, he's up by four. New Hampshire, he's up by ten. Um, North Carolina, he's up by four. Ohio up by three, Pennsylvania up by six, uh, and then it's up in Virginia by 11 points in Virginia and five points in Wisconsin. So that's a, that's a huge, those are huge margins, right? Those are huge margins um, in, in a lot of these states. They're absolutely massive. But the ones where it's tighter, that, that could be, that could be a, a problem. 
I would be a lot more worried if if it wasn't for Trump's handling of the coronavirus and the economy. It's difficult to see how he wins this election based on on the trajectory of a the economy and b the coronavirus. I still think that those two factors are going to take the presidency away from him. But you know his his attack on voting rights is just you know it's it's really scary. And if Biden wins, this is one of the things that the Democrats are going to have to do some serious serious work on in in uh, over the next four years. It's basically to undo all the damage that Trump has done. I mean, it's just desperate. They're now they're trying to smear but trump was on on at biden for being again about black voters i think biden made some gaffe about diversity of black voters uh again this is classic biden making a just a completely it, it was a fairly you know harmless gaffe that he made it wasn't particularly bad i think he basically said there's a lot of diversity in latino voting habits but then not so much in in african-american and he didn't quite articulate it in that way he basically he basically said you know latinos are diverse but black the black americans are not diverse there's not much diversity within black americans which is not really what he meant to say but anyway so trump leapt on that and you know they've been attacking he and um all of his uh, attack dogs, Kellyanne Conway, uh, have uh, been attacking Biden on on African Americans. They clearly view this as a weak point for him, which is bizarre given the fact that you know Biden was basically elected by African Americans. He's winning. You know, he won the 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 primary due to African American voters. He's not going to lose the African American vote. That's not going to happen, right? They overwhelmingly support Biden. So it just seems kind of crazy that this is the tactic they would use. But there's not really much that they can find that sticks. They, the Tara Reid thing, that that um, that didn't stick. Barissima, that didn't stick. Um, you know, now they're trying the African-American uh, tact, and that's not working either. Whereas I think Hillary Clinton was a much easier target, number one. Number two, um, you know, Trump is handling an, a, a disastrous economy. I mean, it's it's bad. Like, it's really bad, and it's getting worse. Um, despite the jobs numbers, you know, going up a little bit, uh, we're still, you know, it's still not great. And Congress still hasn't... Um, come up with a with a with a relief package yet as even now they've been i could knows how long they've been debating this for but they still haven't managed to come up with it with a if we if we don't get an extension of unemployment benefits and another stimulus package through uh the economy is going to tank so i think that trump is he's he's it's not the same the polls you know uh are, it's different and and biden has maintained a consistent lead over over trump I think that he's got a buffer built in, and that's why I look at these polls. Also, did you see the this today? This is a guy. This is in the New York Times this week. Is the guy who has there's a professor who has picked accurately every election since 1984, and uh, he's come out now and said that Trump is going to lose. And he he does he built it on a model or 13 keys that um, he uses to determine who's going to win the election. And he he predicted Trump's victory. So he was in, a, in an extreme minority of people who was picking Trump to win. But he got that right. So anyway, he, he believes that Biden is going to win this this time around. And if you look at the his criteria, it's kind of, it's smart, you know, it's, it's, it's smart. It's, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of, um, criteria that he uses in terms of like the state of the economy the charisma of the of the presidential candidate whether there are any major scandals um and obviously trump uh takes a lot of those boxes in terms of there are lots of you know he's heading um a bad 
economy there are multiple scandals you know and he's got the coronavirus so according to this guy's model that has been successful over the past 40 years i think biden looks like a safer bet but nevertheless you know i think you're smart not to be uh too confident well hopefully the model holds because if it doesn't we are in the shit and trump he's uh he's taking a victory lap today over the the unemployment report which showed that the country added 1.8 million jobs in july and that caused the unemployment rate to fall from 11.1 percent to 10.2 and so he took this victory lap on twitter this morning even as there are 13 million more unemployed people now than there were in february which is a lot even as Congress cannot agree on a pandemic relief package, as you said, even as we are heading for a tsunami of evictions, even as schools start to reopen, which will certainly not help stop the spread of the virus. And we've seen schools this week reopen and immediately shut down because kids are testing positive. And we're seeing photos of maskless students not engaged in any social distancing either in the halls of the schools or outside the schools i don't know if you've seen some of these photos but there there's one where that where they're all outside and they're all jammed in together not wearing masks posing for a photo all smiling like hey everything's great everything's normal it's like what are you doing we are not going to do this right you know, we predicted months and months ago when we were all staying home, when there, we weren't going to the office, when we weren't, you know, going to get our haircuts, we said, we're going to reopen, Rock. When we reopen, we're going to have to do a partial reopening with social distancing, with masks, and that is just not happening in large chunks of the country. We're, and the same thing is going to happen with the schools. My wife, who works in pediatric oncology, she likes to say that children are biological weapons. And that was before the pandemic. Okay, now we have a pandemic and you know these kids are going to go home. They are going to give it to their parents, their grandparents, their uncles, other kids that they hang out with. And it's going to be a mess because we're going to do it wrong. Well, they've I mean, they've done absolutely everything else wrong i mean there's nothing that the trump administration the only thing that they've really done okay on is the they've ramped up testing right but like you know again this was too late right they they testing too late it's been a disaster on all fronts i mean you saw no doubt you saw trump's trump's interview with jonathan swan from axios this week I mean, it was just insane. The charts, right? The charts that they'd given him, which were kind of idiot, they were clearly created to be moron proof, you know, to show that the Trump administration is doing an amazing job. But it was just the most embarrassing thing ever. Actually, actually, on a, on a side note, do you have, maybe we can play some audio of that. Do you have any? Is it- Are you really going to make me listen to any part of this interview again? <laughs> You know what we should do? We should just play the whole 37-minute interview, and we can interject with wisecracks like, you know, we're a podcast version of Mystery Science Theater 3000. These are the right charts here, you're referring to. The United States is lowest in numerous categories. Uh, we're lower than 
the world, lower than, lower lower than what is that? Europe. <laughs> In what? Take a look. <laughs> Here's case death. Oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the U.S. is really bad. Well, well, Much worse than South Korea, Germany, etc. You can't. You can't do that. You have, to go, do you that? have to go by. You have to go by where. Look, here is the United States. You have to go by the cases. The cases. Why are not there. as a proportion when of population? When we have somebody, what it says is when you have somebody that yeah. has it, where there's a case. Oh, okay. The people that live sure. from oh. those cases. It's surely a relevant statistic to say if the U.S. has X population and X percentage of death of that population. No. I. I mean, this is unreal. I mean, we're doing worse than other countries. Including the United States, like last month, right? So, like, we're doing worse. We're we're having more deaths. We're seeing more hospitalizations. We're seeing more people in ICUs. So, even if you don't want to measure us against other countries, you can just measure us against us. Thirty days ago, forty-five days ago, whatever. This this is bad. It's, it's bad. bad. It's terrible. I mean, it's a disaster, and it keeps getting worse. And these, I don't think anyone has any confidence in this guy to see us through this. Like, I, I just don't see it. Right? There's, there, there is nothing that that Trump has done that would inspire any confidence. From the demon sperm doctor, he he was uh, retweeting last week you know, to basically still refusing to wear a mask in public. He still doesn't wear masks in public, which would do a huge amount of good, right? If he just had footage of him wearing a mask, you know, right. just right. simple things like that. Um, I mean, yeah, the interview was just completely bonkers. I mean, it was like, if anybody look at this guy and think this guy's competent, you know, this guy, this guy, he's the guy we want during a pandemic. You must be crazy. So, you know, I mean, I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I'm still hopeful that the you know vaccines on the on the way. Um, the, the, the news on the vaccine stuff does look good, but you know, any any, any reverse in, in the sort of um, trajectory of this is, is not going to ha- in the trajectory of the coronavirus is not going to happen under this guy. They've they've just lost control of it. Like they had an opportunity to control this thing, and they've lost control of it. It's now the worst. It's the worst response out of all affluent nations in the world. I'm going to play another clip in this interview where he talks about John Lewis, the civil rights icon and congressman from Georgia, who recently died at the age of 80. So Jonathan Swan, who did a phenomenal job. In this interview, by the way, he not only asked him tough questions, he asked Trump follow-ups. They were often rapid fire. I mean, Jonathan Swan was not afraid to interject when Trump was beginning to veer away from from the question. And he was, Swan was extremely prepared with facts and figures and Trump just looked like a fool. I mean, he, he, he doesn't need Jonathan Swan to make him look like a fool, but he looked like a damned fool. John Lewis is lying in state in the U.S. Capitol. How do you think history will remember John Lewis? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know John Lewis. Uh, he chose not to come to my uh, uh, inauguration. Uh, he chose. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I never met John Lewis. Actually, I don't believe. Do you find him impressive? Uh, 
I can't say one way or the other. I find a lot of people impressive. I find many people not impressive. But no, but I didn't go. Did you find his story he, didn't come, he didn't come to my inauguration. He didn't come to my State of the Union speeches. And that's okay. That's his right. And again, nobody has done more right. for but, but black Americans than I have. I understand. He should have come. But, I think he made a big mistake. But, I think but, he should have come. Taking your relationship with him out of it, do you find his story impressive, what he's done for uh, this country? He was a person that devoted a lot of energy and a lot of heart to civil rights, but there were many others also. Okay, so apparently the most important thing about John Lewis, as far as Trump is concerned, is that John Lewis did not attend Donald Trump's inauguration. And But you, you heard Trump say, that's okay. And it's so okay with Trump that he mentioned this fact twice, so it doesn't bother him at all. Right. And it's like this is that's the most significant thing about him. Like in in Trump's narcissistic, busted brain, that is the thing that matters, how he has been aggrieved personally. And because John Lewis chose not to attend his inauguration, which, by the way, John Lewis did not attend George W. Bush's inauguration either in 2001 to Trump. That means John Lewis is persona non grata, can't be considered impressive, can't be considered really any kind of hero. He finally acknowledges, like, yeah, he he fought for civil rights, but so did other people. You know, it's just a, he's just a petty, petty man, baby, and he he's our president. I mean, yeah, you know, like. The thing is, is that this is again him catering to his base. His this is a this is red meat to the to the uh, red meat to the racists, right? Like they don't want him. He can't say anything nice about a civil rights leader because that would be, uh, you know, that would be advocating on behalf of black people. So Trump's base loves this kind of thing, right? They love that kind of stuff. They love Trump when he snubs civil rights heroes or when he insults black people this is this is exactly what they what they're after so i mean what a sad little man though you, you know you're right he it's just it would be really pathetic he the least presidential president ever no grace no sense of dignity no sense. i mean the guy just died for christ's sake and that's all trump had to say about him uh, I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was pathetic. So, I mean, yeah, the interview was, was a complete train wreck, but it was obviously not reported on well in right-wing media circles. Breitbart, Breitbart.com spent all, all week talking about Joe Biden, you know, Joe Biden making gaffes and, uh, you know, whatever else it was, uh, black athletes who wouldn't, who, who were kneeling during the, during the national anthem. That's of course, much more important than Trump's handling of the coronavirus or him insulting a dead civil rights leader, you know? Uh, so that's, what's going on in the right wing, the right wing media echo chamber. Uh, you know, I can't help but feel that we're just, we're living in these kind of two separate realities where one, where, where liberals are attached, you know, we, we're, objectively looking at what's happening and facts and looking at the coronavirus and saying, this is bad. This is a disaster. You know, Trump is a narcissistic sociopath, but in the right wing media and right wing talking heads, this is not, this is not what they're saying. This is not what they're talking about at all. And I can't help but feel that, you know, a good 40% of the country just lives in cuckoo land where none of this stuff reaches them. 
know, where this would be framed by Fox News or Breitbart or right wing hate radio as as um, I don't even know how they frame it. They wouldn't even talk about it. So this doesn't enter the consciousness of you know millions of Trump supporters. So they've got no way of kind of looking at this objectively and saying, OK, this guy's clearly a moron. You know, if you look at Trump's support with 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 Republicans, I mean, it's still rock solid. It's dropped a bit, uh, but not much. You know, I think it's still close to ninety percent of Republicans support Donald Trump. It's it's the independence that you're seeing a major shift on. You know, so I mean, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary that you can live in these two completely separate reality bubbles, right? Where he can a president, a sitting president, could do an interview like that. Uh, and still get himself reelected, and still got, well, still have millions and millions of people vote for him. If that had happened, you know, forty years ago, that would be that would be it. That would be whichever presidential candidate did that. Even ten years ago, right? I mean, look what happened with um, Sarah Palin, right? When Sarah Palin joined uh, the McCain campaign, it was a complete disaster, uh, and and I think they couldn't even really hide it. You know, even though the right wing media system was fully formed and batshit crazy, you know, it still wasn't quite as solidified as it is now where you're living in two distinct realities with just completely different laws of physics. You know, and that, you know, that's what I find really, really quite worrying. So we, it's like we talk about this stuff, we talk about how insane this stuff is, but when half the country is not even looking at it, you know, or doesn't acknowledge it because it's fake news, because Axios is fake news and HBO is fake news. You, you mentioned Sarah Palin. I immediately went to Howard Dean in 2004 after the Iowa caucuses. He had a disappointing showing and he was trying to rile up his supporters at the post caucus rally. We're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. And everyone went, oh, that's not very presidential. And after that, he was done. I'm not saying that was the re- that was the reason why, but like there was this universal agreement that that scream was completely disqualifying. And now you fast forward to today, the president essentially screams every day, whether it's screaming before he gets on Marine One when he does the the gaggle with the reporters before getting on the helicopter, whether he's screaming uh, on Twitter, whether he's screaming. You know, taxpayer funded event at the Whirlpool headquarters in Ohio. That's actually a rally. I don't know if you saw that yesterday, but that was supposed to be about American jobs and manufacturing. And he said a bunch of stuff about that, but also like attacked Joe Biden, which is completely not what you're supposed to do at one of these taxpayer funded events, because that's like campaign stuff getting into Hatch Act again. I mean, why even have a Hatch Act? But that's a podcast for another day. So, yeah, they live in this alternate reality. And and one of those people who live in this alternate reality is Dinesh D'Souza, who we'll get to in a second. But at the Whirlpool speech that Trump gave yesterday, he made a little verbal gaffe. Not a big deal as far as I'm concerned, but I'm going to play this clip. Shifting production to Thailand. And to Vietnam, Thailand and Vietnam, two places that 
I like their leaders very much. They're very nice to us. Do they take advantage of the United States? Okay, so obviously Twitter went nuts at this. Thailand was trending. T-H-I-G-H-L-A-N-D, as it should on Twitter. People went nuts. And Dinesh D'Souza absolutely lit Twitter on fire yesterday, okay? He was insisting that Thailand is actually the correct pronunciation. Did you know that, Ben? I I did not know that, Mike. I did not know that, that Thailand was actually pronounced Thailand. Yes. So he tweeted, Dinesh D'Souza tweeted last night, I'm highly amused to see supposedly sophisticated media types snickering at Trump for saying, Thailand, these faux sophisticates don't realize Trump's way of saying it is right. Thailand is the crude lingo of people who have never been into Thailand. And naturally, a whole bunch of people pointed out how wrong he was people who uh, had lived in Thailand, people who and he was trying to say that, like, this is how it, I don't know what he was trying to say. Like, but nowhere in the world is it pronounced Thailand, not in Thailand. Somebody was pointing out that they don't even have a th sound in Thailand. It, wait, so, is this is this is this is this Dinesh uh, coronavirus is a blue state problem D'Souza? This is this is that Dinesh D'Souza, indeed. So, but also here's here's a couple of problems Dinesh has. In addition to the fact that he's just wrong, Trump pronounced it Thailand sec a second later because he realized how stupid he sounded. So even by D'Souza's own dumb wrong claim about the, what the correct pronunciation is, you'd have to conclude that Trump actually mispronounced it when he called it Thailand. So he pronounced it both ways. And the last point here is, does this mean D'Souza is going to pronounce it Thailand for the rest of his life? Is that what it's going to do? <laughs> yeah, is where are you going on vacation, Dinesh? You going to Thailand? <laughs> yeah. Is it Thailand? <laughs> what takeaway are you getting tonight? Are you, get, are you getting some Thai food? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have some pod thigh. <laughs> I'm going to have some thigh, some, thigh co- some thigh coffee or thigh tea. Yeah, uh, this is exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and Dinesh D'Souza is or, or was once considered an intellectual on the right, right? He was regarded as something of a luminary of the ideological wing of the conservative movement. But at the end of the day, he's just a troll and an asshole. When he was a student at Dartmouth, he was running a school newspaper there. He outed gay students who weren't ready to be outed. He called Barack Obama a boy and said he was from the ghetto. He, D'Souza tried drawing a connection between Nazism and homosexuality. He mocked the kids who survived the Parkland shooting, who were advocating gun control. Just a trash human being and just a piece of shit. And a convicted felon, by the way, for making an illegal campaign contribution. And also, fun fact, he dated Laura Ingram while they were students at Dartmouth, which is just perfect. I mean, wow, that union, such full of love and compassion. Laura Ingram and, uh, and Dinesh D'Souza, a, 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 white, a white supremacist with a fellow white supremacist who doesn't understand that he's Indian. Right. I mean, he's just this has to be shtick at this point. 
Well, Dinesh D'Souza just gets on. He, you know, he his job. He's a professional troll of the left. That's what he does. He trolls the left. You know, I don't know. I think he he is serious. He takes himself seriously, but. He's, you know, he's like, it's like Breitbart, right? These guys just get off on on owning the libs. That's what they live for. There, There is no other meaning to their lives other than owning the libs, which is a very kind of sad way to spend one's, one's life. But but there you have it. Um, you know, I think uh, Dinesh D'Souza, who, yeah, Dinesh D'Souza, as I, I was talking about earlier, said that, that the coronavirus was basically a blue state problem and that it wasn't really affecting red states. You know, probably because of all the dirty immigrants that Dinesh D'Souza imagined spread disease, which, you know, of course, A, he's, he, he, he I don't know whether he's an immigrant. I think, was he an immigrant himself? Or at least he comes from... Uh, he Yeah, he was born in Mumbai. He was born in Mumbai, yeah, Dinesh D'Souza, who is an immigrant. Um, any, anyway, so this is the kind of internalized hatred he has for himself, uh, that he he obviously, he he believes that coronavirus was disproportionately affecting uh, places with lots of immigrants and lots of black people. This is what Dinesh D'Souza hates, but obviously he's kept very quiet about about the coronavirus since it moved to red states. You know, so this intellectual powerhouse who ignores scientific evidence, who ignores, you know, medical advice, um, who takes his cues from the dr- the bleach drinking president of the United States and the hydroxychloroquine queen. And he, obviously he's not a serious character, but the sad thing is, is that he is taken seriously on the right. You know, I, I, I think mostly he's just a grifter. He maybe he's figured out how to make a few, you know, he's figured out how to make some money out of all this stuff. So that's what he does. He fans the flames. He trolls the liberals because he know, and then makes these ridiculous documentaries, like some of the dumbest documentaries you've ever seen. Didn't you do a review? You did a review once for on a Dinesh D'Souza documentary. Yes, I did for the Christ. Daily Banter some what years was ago. That like? What was that like? I, I couldn't face it, but I've I've seen clips, but that's about as much as I can take. Yeah, I drew the short straw among the Banter staff on that one. The film was titled America. It basically was, yeah, he spent part of the film defending the United States against charges that America has engaged engaged in thievery by stealing from land from Native Americans, land from Mexico, labor from black people via slavery, stealing resources via imperialism, and the American dream via wealth inequality. And, and D'Souza says that those charges shame America and that not only that— Quote, the shaming of America is not accidental. It's part of a strategy. And it's part of a strategy to, I'm not quoting him anymore, but basically it's part of a strategy to shame America and make America look bad. You know, and this is all part of the liberal agenda. So, Ben, uh, fuck you for bringing up this repressed memory. I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that, Mike. That's quite violent of you to to, to uh, your language is quite violent. I, I feel assaulted there, um, but yeah, no, it's uh, delicious. But this is again how easy it is to make money with right wing idiots. Right? You can you can get a documentary made if by spouting this kind of nonsense and actually get people to go and see it. You know, this is this is the grifting economy of of of, of right wing, basically hustlers, right wing race hustlers who who. Um, 
uh, yeah, what was Dinesh D'Souza's whole thing about? One of the things he thinks about is is, it, is that basically the Republican, the, the Democrats are the racist party. They're the party of the KKK and they're the part, you know, and the Republicans are the party of Abraham Lincoln and whatnot. So he's, he, they've kind of reversed. He he's reversed history. It's a kind of a deceitful, completely um, without context. Uh, take on history which is just not grounded in reality but this is one you can get away with peddling on right wing Twitter um, but yeah anyway look I think there's enough on Dinesh D'Souza the guy doesn't deserve he literally you know he's a I used to follow him on Twitter but I realised after a while the guy's just a troll um, so there's no point you know he he's uh, he's out there to make money and that's it should we talk about like the first thing that we planned on talking about, but has now been kicked to the end of the show? So I was at my desk Wednesday night and I saw the press release come across from the New York attorney general's office saying that they'd be making a major national announcement the following day. And so I know it's 2020 and we can't have nice things, but I did wonder if this would be connected to Trump somehow. I, I knew it wouldn't be Trump himself because that'd be too good. But I was hoping it would be Trump-related, like maybe charges against Deutsche Bank, his lender of last resort. But no, it, it, it was disappointing. It's good. It was, still, it was disappointing, though, considering what it could have been. But it is a civil lawsuit looking to disband the, the NRA, which is chartered in New York State and is considered a nonprofit tax-exempt charitable organization. And as such, under New York law, the state attorney general's office is responsible for ensuring that charitable organizations in the state meet the requirements to maintain their nonprofit tax-exempt status. In the case of the NRA, Letitia James has decided the NRA is not meeting those requirements, and so is suing to have the NRA disbanded and to make sure that NRA CEO Wayne LaPierre and other NRA higher-ups in the complaint are barred from serving on a charities board in New York State. And there is a fantastic Twitter thread that really, so the, the complaint is it's lengthy, as they tend to be, but this uh, gentleman, Igor Volsky on Twitter, he has a pretty good rundown of, uh, of all the big nuggets. It's, it's a long one. I'll just read a couple of, of the hits. It's just a lot of self-dealing going on at the NRA. Wayne LaPierre, he makes like a few million. He makes between like two and five million dollars a year in salary, depending on what year it is. I mean, his salary's kind of varied and stuff like that. Uh, let's see. From August 2014 to January 2020, LaPierre's travel consultant. Oh, yeah. The, the NRA has a travel agency that they use, but LaPierre used his own separate travel consultant that LaPierre paid $13.5 million to. From May 2015 to April 2019, the NRA incurred over a million dollars in expenses for private flights when LaPierre was not a passenger. So he's like booking you know, he's booking these private flights on flights that not even he's on, but he he was on some of the private flights. Uh, LaPierre often visits the Bahamas in the summer as well, says Igor Volsky. During these trips, he stayed on a 108-foot yacht named Illusions. It has four staterooms, a 16-foot jet boat, and two jet skis. He never disclosed 
his use of the yacht on NRA's financial disclosure questionnaires that he is required to do by NRA's own bylaws. He testified that he never received a gift of value in excess of $250 from a contractor or employee of an NRA contractor. But LaPierre's use of the yacht obviously uh, would constitute a gift in excess of $250. Just so much. He $65,000 in Christmas gifts for his staff, donors, and friends. $1,600 in Christmas gifts to the co-founder of some organization. $12,000 for his niece's eight-night stay at the Four Seasons Hotel in Dallas. Uh, in 2016-2017, LaPierre was reimbursed over $38,000 in expenses for his niece's airfare and lodging, and there's other stuff too, but uh, that just gives you an idea of what's going on there. You know, so in addition to the NRA as an organization, LaPierre and some of these other folks, they're going to have some IRS problems on their hands for not reporting these gifts, which I imagine they did not do. I don't know what's going to happen with the NRA's status as a charity. We'll have to wait for the courts to sort that out, but I don't think LaPierre weasels his way out of this one. I think his days as head of the NRA are numbered. I think the allegations in the complaint are pretty damaging and and just paint a picture of blatant self-dealing, if not embezzlement and gross ineptitude. And a lot of dues-paying NRA members are going to see this and not be too happy that the guy taking their money to fight for the Second Amendment, allegedly, was using it for private jets and hotels in the Bahamas for himself and his family and his friends. So I think we can stick a fork in him as NRA CEO. Yeah, I think you can probably stick a fork in the organization as well. I mean, I, I can't see how it survives this, even if it do, even if it doesn't um, this doesn't doesn't dissolve. Uh, I, I think that you're going to start seeing the the company's already in fin- in real financial trouble, or the organization rather is in real financial trouble. So who's going to be wanting to pay their membership due to their NRA after this? I mean, look, like a gun right. Clearly, there. I mean, there are other gun rights organisations. There are other lobbies that that will do the the bidding of the gun industry, as well. Um, none of, of course, as prominent as the NRA. So there'll be other ones that that spring up. But it would be what a victory that would be. You know, what a great thing that would be for the NRA to finally dissolve or to finally be rid of this organisation that has been basically responsible for thousands and thousands and thousands of deaths over the years um so i think that's a yeah i think on that note we should probably leave it because that's actually a positive note mike that's actually something that we we can that's that's something that uh you can savor over the weekend what is that like twice in the last four or five podcasts we ended on a positive note that yeah amazing i mean just just think about that think about trump getting out of office in november and the end of the nra those two things should help you sleep at night you're here (laughs) Um, but anyway uh, thank you very much for listening everybody if you uh, enjoyed this podcast please subscribe to the newsletter Um, you can also get a two month free trial on a Bantam membership if you click on the uh, red button in this article so please click on that you get two month free trial you get access to all premium articles um, take part in member discussion threads Uh, and yeah that's about it from us and um, I hope you all have a great evening Mike thank you very much anything else from you my friend before we go bye everyone wear a mask wear a mask and we'll see you next week